Polly Ho-Yen used to be a primary school teacher in London, but would get up very early in the morning to write stories, the first of which became her critically acclaimed debut novel, Boy in the Tower, which was long-listed for the 2015 Branford Bose Award and also shortlisted for both the Waterstones Children's Book Prize and the Blue Peter Book Award that same year. Polly caught up with Nikki Gamble recently, who asked her what she'd been doing in the intervening years. After Boy in the Tower came out, which was like a lovely surprise that so many schools picked it up to read with their year fives and year sixes mainly. And it was just fantastic. So as well as doing lots of school visits, which is now a big part of my life, um, I wrote two other middle grade novels. One was called Where Monsters Lie and the other was called Fly Me Home. And then I also wrote a shorter, younger fiction, which was called Two Sides. And then I also wrote a guided reading text, um, which is called um, My Other Life. It's been a little while since I published anything, but it hasn't mean I haven't been working. I've been working on quite a few things. And one of them was actually an adult novel. Um, and I was working on that at the same time as I was working on my next middle grade, which is this book. It's a little bit confusing because the copy that you were given says this book will save your life but the title is actually how I saved the world in a week and the this book will save your life which is meant to be like a little hooky pitchy line um which worked which is great Nikki um but actually I did know that it was called it it does actually say that on the spine yeah cover the title is really important I think in how it sets up the reader to feel comfortable about reading what could be quite a scary book in lots of ways. Do, is, were you thinking about that when you gave it the title? Oh, the title. I mean, I feel like I'm getting worse and worse at, with titles as I write more. And I'm always just so grateful and happy when I'm writing with some fantastic editors who are helping me out with thinking of new titles. So this was very much a collaboration to find how I saved the world in a week, which I just love. And I just feel like it's such a punchy title. And like you say, also kind of gives the reader that assurance that things are going to be okay, but also that it's going to be an exciting read as well. I also feel like it gives a lot of agency to, you know, to children, to Billy, who's the main character. Like he's the one who's doing the saving. It's Mm. in his hands and he's able to do it. Now, we might have to let listeners in on the secret as to what he's saving uh, the world from. Uh, But before we get there, maybe you could just set the novel up for us without going into the second part of the story. Let's just talk about part one, first of all. It's interesting, actually, coming talking to you about just thinking about part one, because in the writing of it, this book came out in kind of different chunks and so the part one that I'm telling you about was something that was sort of interspersed throughout the story and it was like flashbacks and then we realized it would make a lot more sense if it was just told in a linear fashion and I gave kind of a little bit more detail and a little bit more space so um but so the first part of the novel you're with Billy and he's with his mother who is the most important person in his life and she's so incredibly important because they've moved around a lot she's actually been his only kind of anchor um and his mum is not a mum like any other mums that he knows she for one she asks him to call her her first name Sylvia she likes to take him on these adventures um and at first they're they're really fun and they get to spend this time together and she's teaching him skills that he's um, learning so so much and then he starts to realize that the adventures have started to change and 
actually it feels like she has to take him on these trips out with her um, and that the, he's trying to understand the reason why she feels that she has to be doing them. And it just starts to sort of tip over. So he's taken out from school to go with out with his mum. And that's the beginning of the book, actually. He's I always remember when I from my teaching days way back when, like the last day of term before Christmas, it felt very, very vivid to me and the parties that we'd have in the school and you know, all the different little rituals that you'd have with your class. And Billy's kind of he hasn't been in that school for very long and he's really wants to be part of this little community although he feels a bit of an outsider and then his mum comes and takes him out a little bit early he doesn't know why and she's taking him out on one of these adventures so mm-hmm. the first part of the story is very much setting up Billy and Sylvia in this quite kind of odd but very close relationship that they have. Mm. I have to say in some ways although it's different to the relationship in Boy in the Tower that relationship of a child and the mother and they're interdependence because she's as reliant in some ways on him as he is on her and it reminded me of that novel in this relationship that you had going on here yes absolutely yes you're right there is some big similarities there and I've actually just become a mother myself and I I think uh, some mums who'd read Boy in the Tower when I hadn't had a child at that point were saying, oh, how did you, I felt like the mum needed to do more. And I thought, I wonder if I'm going to write mums sort of differently once I become one or whether that won't change. And I'm not really sure what the answer to that is really. But yeah, I do, do like to think about that really close connection that a child has with their parent. And actually in one big difference, I suppose, the novel is in Boy in the Tower, we never meet Addie's father. But in How I Save the World in the Week, we do find out who Billy's dad is and why we don't meet him at the beginning. And that's something that is fully explored. Mm. Um, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that later. But I want to stick with something in part one, first of all, that's really exciting. And that's all the survival techniques. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, Billy's mum has this book, which I reference in the story and that is like the bible for them learning all of these crafts and survival skills like being able to make fire from using a fire bow and my husband has an old survival book guide that we really really loved and I use that as a use that one as a big inspiration and a few other survival guides too I got to put my hands up and say I didn't try them all out myself I know I haven't made fine but I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try and do it on publication day and I probably am going to fail miserably I'm gonna give it my best shot it was very convincing you know right down to putting the leaves there to catch the embers and you know I was completely convinced I was sure that you must have made fire a couple of other things I mean I was fascinated by this idea of a heliograph is this a real thing yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this was from taken from the survival guide. And the heliograph is it as if you read the book, you'll see kind of what a pivotal uh kind of um role it has to play in the unfolding of the story, which you know I won't give away too much here, but the heliograph really caught my attention of the way that we can use so it's a way of um directing the sunlight to be able to communicate and sort of flash the light. And I, you know, ever since I've 
I wrote in the heliograph. I kind of catch how like sometimes my watch will do that by accident and how you can play with the light in a room by just catching a sunlight beam and directing the light. I predict lots of uh, teachers trying these survival skills uh, with their classes. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the quality of your writing in this first section here and this relationship that we've talked about between Sylvia and Billy. I'm just going to read a little bit um, which sort of encapsulates their relationship. And what I wanted to show is how a few lines can convey so much. I don't dare look at Sylvia's face. I'm sure she is upset, but then her hand is on my cheek. I can feel the ridge of calluses on her fingers, smell the scent of soap that she uses, feel the warmth of her palm on my face. It's only two sentences. It says a lot about their relationship, doesn't it? Well, it's interesting that you talk about how kind of spare that writing is there, because I do remember feeling very much when I laid down the first chapter, gosh, this voice is quite sparse and that felt very clear to me, but also kind of slightly troubled me. Like, oh, this, this is this is who Billy is. So when he's describing his feelings of being with his mum, I always am trying to kind of really make those experiences feel so vivid as if, you know, I'm living them. And I suppose, you know, I'm I'm really trying to just give those really kind of sensory kind of details um, to kind of really make it kind of come alive for the reader. And I just, I love that idea that, you know, as a child, there's so much I think that children kind of are picking up on from adults that adults don't kind of quite realise that they are fully understanding. But children are completely aware of a change of mood, you know, a change of tone, And so I wanted to really show how Billy had that real sensitivity to Sylvia's moods and demeanour and how there is just those times when he's searching to kind of really connect with her and she is loving, but she does it through that kind of briefest of touches. Wonderful bit of writing that. And I wonder if I could invite you just to read a little bit from this first section and then we'll move on to thinking about what happens in the rest of the story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to read you a little bit from the beginning of the story when she's taking him out from school and she takes him out, they take him to the woods. I look at the arrangement of sticks and can't understand how we're going to make fire from this. Get ready with that tinder when it starts to catch, she tells me, pointing to some dried out moss we collected earlier. She takes a leaf and places it carefully at the bottom of the arrangement. This will catch the embers, she explains. Then she begins, moving the bow from side to side as though she's sawing a piece of wood, making the pointed stick spin from the movement. Her breath is heavy. I look for a flame, but I see none, only a thin trail of smoke. There, she says through a half-breath, there's a small pile of black smoking powder on the leaf. She takes a bundle of the dry moss, and places the tinder on top of it. Come here, Billy, she says. You need to learn how to do this. Blow very gently. I do as she says, and blow on the moss in little puffs of gentle smoke. It smokes. It smokes a little more. It looks like it's breathing. I blow a little harder, 
and then smoke builds and builds until I see it. A flicker. Something as slight as a flutter of eyelids. It's that small. But then the flame licks around the moss hungrily. The handful of moss is consumed by it and I can't stop myself from squealing in delight. We feed it dry pieces of bark and very small twigs. The fire devours them all and grows bigger still. We did it, Sylvia says. She leans into me once again and we are both quiet for those few seconds, watching the flames grow, dance and flicker. Just then, there's a ripple in the sky overhead. The clouds hang grey and low. There's a flash, lightning. It seems to come from nowhere. Sylvia looks up at the sky as the first raindrops fall. I see them land on her forehead, making wet circles that trickle down her pale face. But the next moment she turns suddenly, as though she's spotted something I haven't, and then she's up, grabbing our things, filling her arms. I look all around us, thinking of our second rule. Pay attention. Keep constant observations of your surroundings. Sylvia tells me that's the one I particularly need to practice because I'm always missing the things she sees. But as my eyes travel over the trees, trying to see what Sylvia has spotted, she says, we've got to go. Help me pack everything up, quick. It's a scramble to get everything together. Though she's carrying the bag, Sylvia still has a hand free to hold mine, and I'm glad of it as she pulls me away. It feels warm and dry and strong in mine. It's not safe here, she says, and we start to run. It's difficult to keep up with her. My trainer doesn't have its lace anymore and with every step I feel like it might come off completely but she seems so worried I don't want to have to tell her that I don't think I can run so instead I keep it all inside and try and make my foot hold the trainer in place. Don't stop. Don't look back, Sylvia says and her pace quickens. But as soon as she tells me not to it's all I want to do. I can't help myself. The fire we made has been transformed into a smouldering pile now, dampened by the rain, its heat extinguished. The hungry flames may as well never have existed. And there is someone there, standing, where our fire had once been burning. Mm. And actually, that's such a good passage, not only for the excitement, but in a way, it signals what's going to happen in this story, in as much as it's not just a great outdoor adventure that mother and son are having but there's something more sinister at play here and Billy realizes that when he realizes his mum's been equipping a martello tower full of supplies and provisions and Billy's separated from his mum and this is where his father comes in maybe just take us a little bit down the path of that part of the story Yeah, absolutely. I actually started it with Billy and Steve originally. Um, Steve is the name of his father. And because he called Sylvia by her name, he, he does the same. He calls his dad Steve. And really, the whole story is almost about how he, in the end, learns to call them mum and dad and see them as his parents. Um, But he hasn't seen his dad for a long time. And then when he is separated from Sylvia, He's just a stranger to him. And this felt like such an interesting relationship to explore. The idea that he is reunited with a parent who is trying so hard to be close to him, but is failing kind of miserably at every step. And Billy just feeling utter kind of turmoil really at this point. 
I really love that. I can't remember now who it was that said, you know, when you write a story, you get your character up a tree and then you throw rocks at them. And when I heard that, I was thinking, God, I threw so many rocks at poor Billy. <laughs> so though it was kind of a really difficult for Billy to make that huge transition. And obviously all, all the time throughout this period, he's thinking about what's happening with Sylvia and how can he be reunited with her. This is also when we start to see Billy transform. He starts to meet a different kind of family. Um, his dad has a girlfriend who has a daughter. Um, he meets a new friend at his school and he's not being moved around so much. And so he gets to grow close um, with his best friend, Anwar. So the other individuals who come into the story are Steve's girlfriend. Julie. Julie. Yes. And her daughter, Anne Garrett. Yes. And... Uh, so there's a, this nice kind of unit, but Steve is not very um, accepting of Anwar, is he? He just saw Anwar as a bad influence from the beginning and it took quite a lot for him to change his mind. But then he does see what an incredible friend Anwar is to Billy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the good thing about Steve is he is quite, um, he is open to knowing he's made a mistake there's a hint at this part of the story that Billy becomes aware of that possibly his mother has suffered a bit from postpartum psychosis. I mean, that's a possibility. She's certainly been ill since he was born. Yeah, I wanted to let the reader think about the complexities that exist really around as as we grow, as we change, as we develop. And I think also becoming a mother is such a life-changing you know that doesn't even sort of cover it really um and so perhaps it was a postpartum psychosis perhaps it was just a severe anxiety you know after becoming a mother I like that it's a kind of complicated kind of process then we as we learn more we realize that's not the only thing that's in play it was tricky writing that part emotionally because I realised that Billy would feel guilty and that was such a horrible and big emotion to put on him. But if suddenly I realised that was what the story was telling me and that was then going to fuel his actions as well and sort of also speak to how he was feeling towards Steve and his family and and it it was important that really he he actually kind of sort of misunderstands really Mm -hmm. that complexity. Now, we can't go any longer without talking about what Billy is saving the world from. <laughs> We've done pretty <laughs> well. the world in a week. <laughs> there is a part in the story where Anwar's little sisters are getting dressed up as zombies. So would you call this a zombie story? It's a sort of zombie story. But I mean, I I wanted to write, you know, a zombie story with heart, really. So it's it's not your straight zombie story. And um, yeah, I did purposely include this little reference to like a World Book Day or for a book day. And Anwar says, uh, you know, they want to be zombies. There's probably a book that's got them in somewhere, you know, like he's not sure of which, which one it is. There's some book that will have zombies in. What I call the creatures in my story is the greys. And they don't act in exactly the same way as zombies, but they are kind of zombie-like. So in that way, they they are terrifying. And it's the same, similar sort of process as in a human is transformed into a grey and then isn't able to communicate in the 
a, a human-like way anymore. Mm. And it's interesting giving them a title like the Greys. It's such a it's a really good term because it's quite straightforward in some respects, but it's quite catchy, I suppose. Yeah, I also quite like that it also kind of references that it's not black and white, that it's this grey area, you know, that they're not really sure what they are. You know, and it's very practical, like they're called the greys because the skin of a person turns to kind of a dull grey. And so that's a really kind of cool big marker. I did want to just go back to structure, which you've touched on because you, you've said, you know, you rewrote the beginning in a way that was different to um, how you um, thought you were going to start it. I'm interested in the um, the way in which you divided it into these parts. And then the last bit, you're literally going day five, day four, day three, day two, day one. So tell us a little bit about the overall structure and how you arrived at that. It was felt like it was all a bit of a, a voyage of discovery. And so, as I said to you, yeah, it started it and things moved around. Um, I, I quite like that feeling when you're editing where you can actually just suddenly, you know, knock through a wall, shift this foundation over here. If you have a great editor, and I've been so beneficial to have some fantastic eyes on this book, you're able just to say, ah, could we turn this this way maybe that last part could actually be punctuated by separating the days into those sections which you mentioned so basically it has it was all done through you know editorially working collaboratively trying things out being explorative and and that was how we kind of landed in the final structure that you see so I always find it quite interesting to be able to kind of reflect on it because now it's finished it's like of course it had to be that way as I was writing it I needed to do it in those kind of pieces to realise that. And I want to talk again about how absolutely crucial it was to have the kind of input from other eyes. And I always say this in my school events to students, like, you know, when your teacher marks your work and gives you feedback, it's so valuable. It can feel a bit like a, at first, like a bit like a weight, like, oh, I've got so much I needed more I need to do here. Or this isn't perfect. It's not finished. But actually, it's a gift that your teacher's giving you. And I feel that way with my editors and those last days that you mentioned that that decision was taken because of the change, the title that we made. We thought we have to actually really define those days at the end. And we were short by one day. So that's when I wrote in the last day. And that was an addition, the, the last day, which I love. Well, it's really interesting hearing you say that because there was something that struck me about reading this book and that was, you know, how maybe the last three chapters of a book, you can sense the story coming to a close. You can sense the kind of final resolution moving into. Now, with this story, right up to the last five pages, I'm still thinking, maybe there's going to be a part two to this story. It doesn't feel like it's. It doesn't feel like it could be close to the end yet. It's right up to the last minute. You feel. Um, you know you're there with the intensity uh, of the story I'm glad that you felt sort of to the wire because I felt like that as I was writing that last piece I was like he's gonna get there but then what's gonna and then they're gonna and then what's you know it, that that's how I kind of I feel out the endings and uh, trying to make it myself feel that same intensity well we are not going to tell people what happens at the end of this story <laughs> And I do urge people to read it for themselves. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you uh, today, Polly. Thank you so much for joining me in the Reading Corner. Thanks so much. 
In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.